everyone and a warm welcome to the Centre Left Politics Podcast with myself, Malcolm Clark, and my co-hosts Owen Gardner and Carl Quilliam. Uh, so the autumn statement has come and gone, um, but far more importantly than that, tomorrow, which uh, is the 25th of November, or it might be the 26th, I'm not sure, but anyway, very soon marks our one year since our first podcast aired, Carl, can you believe it? Um, so I just wanted to share a quick update about future uh, podcasts. Um, after some planning, we are going to be moving to a new podcast platform, uh, but don't worry, all the links that you currently use will remain the same. Uh, we just hope that using a proper platform rather than, than sort of Microsoft Teams, it will sound a little more professional, a bit better. Um, and we also want to build our listener base. So uh, whilst we're not going to feature our wonderful faces at this stage, I think you've got to pay for that. We need money before we show ourselves. <laughs> pay up ladies and gents um <laughs> we're gonna whack our show onto the youtube platform as well um so at least well i say the women will be flocking in but very sadly we're not going to be on it and it wouldn't be because of me anyway it'll be someone else and i'll let you two fight out who, who, who that would be um but seriously uh thanks for all of your support and we hopefully will go viral in 2024 and get lots more people commenting and interacting with us because that would be fantastic um so how well, i'm going to start with carl How's your week been, Carl? <laughs> Point, pointed to be start with me. <laughs> yeah, it's been alright, you know. Um, hey, I'm trying what to do you one. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, Carl. I couldn't help myself. I'll probably do it. Sorry. Yeah, I don't, I've not got much to say this week. Um, I was, oh yeah, but it's sort of been a busy week. I was in, we had an event in Parliament on Wednesday, which went really well. Um, but yeah, I haven't done lots that's exciting that I can talk about. Sorry. Well, that's that's no problem. Not every week is is as packed as your washing machine going wrong, which we we do miss those <laughs> we miss those weeks. Um, Prime but, content that we're missing. <laughs> absolutely, we're going to save that for the new year when we're on YouTube, and then people are going to be like, "Wow, why have we not listened to this already?" Um, <laughs> Owen, I'm absolutely certain you've had a, a better week or a more 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 involved week in the in what's so what have you been up to? Uh, busy as always. Uh, Canvassing on Monday that was interesting, uh, and then up in Scotland on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, that was some drinking session. Which is <laughs> to wake up in Scotland. I wish. I, love it. I wish. Um, no, it's just a, for the fellowship type thing. I still haven't got an office, so I might need to use a washing machine at some point. Carl's an office space, if that's all right. Um, and then yeah, back. And then a very busy day today, so I'm a bit kind of zonked, but one of those things. Better be zonked than kind of wired who've done nothing so well the good news is our podcasters like the Freemasons we have to do favours for each other so Carl would have to give you the washing machine if you need <laughs> it um, so yeah you'll get tabards I, I mean if it helps us get listeners I'm, I'm up for it um, <laughs> you know uh, just have to go through the uh, indignity of finding one to fit how was your week Malcolm? My week, thank you for asking. I do appreciate it, Carl. You do read the show notes. And, do you know something? This is how bad I am, right? I actually forgot to ask myself. I was ready to move on there. <laughs> so, yeah, well, actually, I had a, an interesting week this week. I was in Parliament on Monday um, doing a, a support and an event by myself for the first time. Um, and I was I was a bit arrogant, Carl, about, about the um, Westminster Tube station. I had previously come into Westminster shot up the stairs come out alighted out to big ben and thought yep i've got the tube licked i know exactly what i'm doing um so when i left the event i had to get back to king's cross for half seven for my train uh sort of sauntered out feeling like i knew you know i you know miles are regular here knows exactly what's going on everyone knows i live in the northeast by the way i hope by now um so i shot down these down the stairs saw tim farron right. came hey, up hello. the stairs and i said good evening mr farron and he shat himself <laughs> Just want to say that he looked like he looked like I don't know. I must look really scary. I don't know because he definitely didn't greet me like I was a lived envoy. To put it that way, he looked a bit taken aback by by someone. But I was very nice. I just said, "Oh, good evening, Mr. Farron," and he got, he got a bit of a shock. So I, I'm sorry, Tim, if if you're listening in. Um, <clears throat> if you, hopefully he's got over it. Uh, so yeah, I went down the escalator, which is to the Jubilee line only. So I've sort of looked around and thought, hmm, lost. There's no more green and uh, yellow lines, which one of them is district, one of them circle. So I went back up the stairs. At this point, I'm thinking, ooh, not really sure what's going on here. 
um, went down to what is then a single platform. I just thought there'd be one direction to green, one direction to yellow, at which point I would make a decision. No. So I stood there for a bit thinking, oh hell, which one goes to Victoria? Apparently both, Carl. Can you confirm that? I don't know. Does any if train that comes to that platform go to Victoria? Yeah, if you're going in the right direction, yeah. <laughs> well, I've come down the stairs. I, I, I don't really know. Well, this is another problem that I wasn't entirely sure because when, when you look at the, uh, the that map thing that says the, all these different stops, um, you know, yeah, it seemed that they both went. So anyway, I missed the first train because it was too busy and, and people piled on and I was right at the front. The second train, I wasn't convinced that it was going to Victoria, even though cause it didn't say it on the actual train whereas the other one did. But then that seemed to stop and then the doors opened and it just sat there forever. So I, my bottle went and I went back out. They probably charged me to go back out, which I hope it didn't because I can't get that back. Um, and then went onto the road, walked to the front of Parliament, jumped in a taxi and got a taxi down to Pimlico. And the guy who, shout out to whoever drove me down, got me there within, you know, it cost, it's 380 as soon as you walk in. Um, it was only 560 when we got there. So he must have, blasted down the road and then i got back to king's cross and, and amazingly for the first time in and i've counted these on i am actually quite sad uh for the first time ever it got my, my train got on time every stop it nice. delayed for like half an hour before setting off in the morning which was irritating because it was newcastle and it was one stop um <clears throat> but yeah so i got back fine half 10 and here i am on friday loving life so yes that is my update not particularly exciting but used up five minutes <laughs> uh, top, top tip for the future you can get any train as long as you're going in the right direction from that platform <laughs> you can also get the jubilee line to green park and green change park. the majority <laughs> line yeah <laughs> all the roads lead to king's cross is what you're saying <laughs> but it just goes to show like once the uncertainty hit everything i was just like this is a train it's going somewhere oh dear <laughs> <laughs> So I was, uh, I should have rang you, shouldn't I, Carl? I, I, I totally lost it, though. Like, you know, you come Portugal's. What I should have done was look at the final destination on the on, on the lines, which would have told me which train it was. And I thought, is this green or yellow? I don't know. So I was completely, I think my composure went slightly without me realising, and I just bottled it back onto the, you know, I'll get a train. But yeah, it was luckily I had time sort of baked into. It was that near, that, that near altercation with Tim Barron that <laughs> well, I, threw you off. Well, the, the, the irony is, Carl, that I think I left the station as rattled as he did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, I got back fine and there was no delays. And it's always a nice feeling to slide into your seat. Although LNER did con me slightly because I had I was in Coach K. I can tell people where I was because they can't find me now. Um, I was in Coach K seat 55, and I thought, ooh, lovely. So you know when you look at the, the notice board and it says which coaches are first-class coaches? Last three were K, L, and M. I thought, oh, I have looked. I've accidentally booked a first-class ticket, and that is wonderful. Um, <clears throat> so I go to Coach K. It says Coach K. Walk along. And, and I think because I was seat 55, I'd go in the far entrance. That's usually the best way. Walk along, and the last third of Coach K was standard class. I was literally right at the door. I was gutted. So no, I wasn't in first class. But the guy in front of me who didn't have a reservation, he actually um, begged the guy who did the tickets to let him just go through the door and sit in first class. And instead of just saying, well, I can't do that, sir, the, the, the ticket guy went, no on your Nelly! <laughs> Which I thought was, wasn't the best customer service ever. <laughs> it's a pair of cribbins. Um... Right, maybe it was. I mean, it's it was yeah, it was quite strange. So yeah, that's it. So that is my update. All fun and games in London as always. But I've learned something tonight live that you know apparently I could have got on the train and I would have made it back. But it's amazing when the uncertainty hits. Like I know the King's Cross to the Victoria Line basically. To Pimlico, let it back of my hand now. Um, but as soon as I go anywhere else, it's like, oh, I don't know <laughs> where the hell am I? I'm in London somewhere. <laughs> okay, so we'll move on to uh, passages politics. Um, give you a quick rundown of, of the topics that we're going to cover this week. Uh, it's mainly two main things this week. It's going to be us looking at the our response to the autumn statement. 
um, and get into a few of the, the the things that have been talked about, what we think about, what it means for labour, things like that. And we're also going to talk about uh, James Cleverly, who, you know, not to be outdone by Suella Braverman, has already had a full confidence declaration from number ten. Um, even before his staff have unpacked his boxes, it's quite it's quite staggering how. <laughs> The previous strong and stable Theresa May, who stayed in the job for many years, is now anything but. But um, Carl, if it's okay, can I bring you in first? Appreciating that I've talked a lot, so I'm not going to introduce it. Um, just to set the scene for us in terms of a discussion about the autumn statement. Yeah, and I was going to say, um, and I'll whack the link in the bottom of the show notes, but I feel like we're missing an opportunity to talk about uh, Keir Starmer choosing Ode to Joy uh, as the music that sums up the Labour Party. So I think we should stick that in at the end. Yeah, let's stick that in at the end, definitely. Um, so, yeah, awesome statement. It happened. Um, it was very... There was a lot of briefing in advance about what might be in it. There was... It sort of ramped up and ramped up. There was quite a lot of expectation, I think, by the time that the day came that there would be some form of tax cut. I got to a point where I basically assumed that they were just going to cut inheritance tax because there'd been so much talk and briefing about it in advance. They didn't do that. Um, Instead, the big sort of headline cut was to national insurance. They cut national insurance by 2% and also did something uh, a bit more complicated that I won't try and explain right now for uh, people who are self-employed, which... Um, I, I don't know what this is. Um, they cut because I, I, for a very short time in 2010, I used to pay these. It's the class two contributions have been abolished, and that is a standard um, flat rate of I think it's. I mean, it was le- less this when I paid it, but I think it's two fifty a week that you pay as like a flat rate, and then at the end of the year, in your self assessment, if you've earned a lot more than that, they'll recalculate, but take into account the two fifty a week that you pay um, as like a, basically a standard no matter what you would owe that in terms of keeping your stamps up to date. So that, that's gone now, which they say will help self-employed people. It'll certainly be a reasonable saving for anyone who's earning very little from being self-employed. There we go. See, we should have had you doing it, Malcolm. That's the... <laughs> I forgot it. That's why it wasn't actually in the notes. So I, I, I talked about, yeah, that, that is a thing. And it, it, um, I, I was I was so surprised by it, I guess. Uh, it's one of those things that, it's an interesting one because a lot of these have been sort of, I don't know, I sort of came into it thinking it was going to be something of a, a Kamikaze budget um, where they were just going to do a trust without actually saying it was when they started talking about tax cuts, so it was interesting. But sorry, Carl, carry on. I've jumped in over the top there. That's all right. Um, yeah, um, I think it came across well. Um, I think he delivered it well. He, um, and I think, Rachel Reeves was giving him proper daggers all, all the way through. She looked like she just wanted to jump out of her seat and just grab, grab him and throttle him. Because <laughs> um, he was he was trying to frame it. Um, one as kind of he was one he was trying to frame it as kind of you know being responsible with the finances and we've got to this point and inflation's coming down and now we can cut taxes mm. um, and you know do the whole you know labour would be responsible with our finances, shtick. Um, but also he spent all the money, um, which I think she's probably even more annoyed about, that actually the if you look at the kind of some of the um, analysis that's come out since, the, the cuts that are penciled in are all largely penciled in for after the election. Uh, lots of them are efficiency savings, uh, which are yet to be defined um, I think the one that kind of jumped out for me is that there's potential for quite a lot of cuts uh, in local government. Um, I think the fiscal settlement for local government, I think, looks all right this year. Um, and one of the things that was announced was the local housing allowance upgrading, which isn't by a lot, but is quite important for local government at the moment because of temporary housing, where temporary housing costs are crippling some local authorities. Uh, there's quite a lot of, you know, there's some gentle alarms being sounded uh, by some of the local government bodies, I know particularly in London, that actually 
you know, we've had, I think, five councils now basically declare bankruptcy, but there's quite a lot of councils that are looking like, they're, well, they're going to struggle and, and a lot more going towards that. Um, this this statement might get them through this year, but if there's a Labour government coming in uh, next year, they could come in to quite a, yeah, a chaotic and difficult kind of local government uh, finance situation, which is just one small piece of the whole whole bit. But I think it it feels like it's kind of salted the earth for the next government. They're kind of, you know, um, they've spent, the taxes are going up. So that's the other thing that's worth saying. The, I think the OBR put out, it was actually in a tweet that I saw, it was the first place that I saw it, they put it out as part of the statement, um, saying that um, it's going to be the biggest fall in living standards since the 1950s. Uh, that's a reduction. That's uh, that's better than it was going to be last year, which was a lot of how he framed it as well. He he sort of marked his own homework in the sense that he said, you know, things are much better than they were going to be, but they're still not great. Um, there was a bit as well about growth, and you you yeah, they always cherry pick the kind of the stats around that. He picked a fairly random selection of countries to say we grew grew faster than. Um, you know, you can argue a lot of that either way, but it, none of it looks good. Um, he didn't mention when he talked about the the projections for future growth that they've basically all been revised down. Um, so I think he made a good, and, and this happens. In, you know, we've all we're all veterans of these things. You sit and listen to the chancellor. Uh, sometimes they don't quite land it, but most of the time you sit there and go, actually, oh, this sounds all right, and then. The analysis comes out seconds later, which completely, <laughs> completely <laughs> undermines half of what they said. And I think that was a, a lot of what, um, yeah, what happened again, really. Owen, you've got any thoughts? Yeah, I, mean, I think on trains, I was quite lucky in that my train to Glasgow was severely delayed. And uh, Carlisle Station has the worst signal I can think of in terms of connecting to stuff. And the only exciting headline that cropped up from the entire statement whilst I was waiting uh, was that policy around uh, full invoicing or expensing, whatever it, whatever it is, which if that's the most exciting policy anyone can come up with at uh, any given moment, it, sh it shows quite how out of ideas they were. I mean, it's, it's very useful, but so is an air dryer in a house. I mean, it's kind of, where do you want to draw the line on quality? Uh, but, I mean, <laughs> it, seems, it seems all right, uh, but it, the highest tax burden since the, the 80s, I think, was the, the main thing that cro cropped up. Um, he did get the copy and pasting in for Rachel Reeves uh, as a joke, which... Had to, really. I mean, it was too... Yeah, it had to, it had too to really. Um, uh, other than that, I mean, it was so... It was, it's almost like the whole thing with Sumac, that he says a lot, does one thing, and then does something completely different that, that makes no sense. Which, if it's coming down to the Chancellor, that they must be completely stuck. And they must be going for me, or at the very least, potentially April if they're pushed. And that then kind of makes it issues for uh, other communities across the UK. But it's, it was like watching them trying to turn the clock back to a time when they hadn't crashed the economy, hmm. which hasn't really been any of the years of any government. So it's sort of like, well, where do I go? And then seeing um, the ever delightful Richard Holden on uh, uh, Sheila Fogarty's show on LBC saying it's Gordon Brown's fault. And she just said, are you trying to blame Gordon Brown? No, 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 no. And then said at the end, you're making yourself look really stupid. And if that's the level they've got to, they're stuffed. That is the level I've got to on. Absolutely. He's, he's on everything at the minute. Like I said, he's gone from, you know, new intake to party grande in about five seconds. Um, quite quite an incredible transformation. But um, I think there was some traps in it for Labour, potentially. Um, them reducing, you know, increasing, uh, or pledging to do a lot of tax decreases. And uh, Carl, sorry, made an excellent point about local government. They're going to have to plug some pretty big holes um, and the risk becomes that we are then again cast as the tax and spend party, which, which is is what Labour list were talking about today, saying that the, it's basically a, you know they've laid out they've, they've chucked the banana skins everywhere and sort of left them out for for Labour to walk onto. 
Um, I think, yeah, good point on the, the Joko, and I was fully expecting it. And I think what was really funny was the, uh, the, the footage instantly cut to Rachel Reeves, who obviously knew it was coming, and had just decided, I will not react one bit. And she just, <laughs> whatever facial expression was on, she just sat there and did nothing. I often think, and he did tell one another good joke where he said about the two Jeremys that neither party wanted them to be elected. I thought that was a good joke. And even Keir Starmer laughed along with that one, which I think sometimes you've just got to laugh and it takes the heat out where you just sit, oh God. You know, so that's not really often the best thing to do. But um, the, he did get that joke. And I actually thought Hunt looked a bit uncomfortable saying it. Like he was almost, like Sunak's got a bit of a nasty streak in him. He likes to go in deep and really give him something. But I think he almost said it, like he said it smiling and he is well, quite quite i think he, if he's even if he isn't he does often come across to be quite charming i think and he, he didn't look to me like he enjoyed sticking the knife in to me but that's maybe because i'm very nice sorry carl go on but i was just gonna say i wonder if that's also because he still thinks he might be prime minister one day <laughs> <laughs> that, maybe that was what was making him uncomfortable saying that his party didn't want him to be prime minister uh, I'm, but i'm probably being unfair like you say <laughs> Yeah, I think I think he's, he he did look like he didn't relish the the sort of the the the, the barb if you like, but uh, that's the type of theatrics that people who listen to the show will know that I enjoy. Um, <clears throat> but I think it's a um, interestingly for Jeremy Hunt is that he's very likely to be moved because the one thing the Tories can do is take away Labour's first ever woman chancellor by just replacing him with probably Claire Coutinho at some point. Um, and I oh gotta say that I'm while I was taking photographs for the trade union client that I was working with, we we took it outside the um, it was a very nicely lit area outside the uh, room N in Portcullis House next to women's toilets, and the chief secretary Laura Trott came out, saw the unison banners, and legged it. Uh, so that was quite funny. Um, <laughs> so uh, I didn't immediately realise it was her, um, and then realised I've just seen the chief secretary of the treasury. That's quite a senior person now um another new intaker who did very well um don't think she'd get chancellor if the job came up but i think there's a good chance that they will find a way of they'll find a way of reducing Rachel Reeves to the first ever labor party woman chancellor i, I wouldn't be surprised i mean it's get it is super pedantic isn't it if that's the motivation to do it but they've got very little else left to sort of take you know it's looking desperate i mean you know this is just a big, almost like a big Hail Mary to the public saying, you know, here's 2%, will you vote for us? And people are saying, thanks for the 2%, but we're sick, we've had enough. So it feels to me like the game's up uh, even more so than it was. Yeah. Yeah, the thing, and there's something in the, the show notes that you put in there, which I thought was interesting, is that he took that moment at the start um, to sort of talk about the... Well, talk about the kind of conflict um, in Israel and Gaza, and then announce some money for tackling anti-Semitism, mm. seven million pounds. Which I, I, I don't know if you guys watched PMQs before, but the last question from PMQ, I think it was the last question or the second last question, was from Daniel Zeichner uh, mm. to Rishi Sunak, and it was about Elon Musk, and it was he didn't. Daniel Zucker in his question didn't specifically push on the anti-Semitism allegations against Elon Musk and all the stuff that's going on, which is kicking off in a big way in the US. It just ha it hasn't over here in the same way. But um, it was a kind of it was an opportunity for Sunak to kind of distance himself from that. You know, after you know, basically a week ago or more, he'd been sat with Elon Musk <laughs> having a nice chat. And he didn't. He didn't distance himself. At, like he didn't even mention it. He defended Elon Musk, and the and he talked about uh, Labour not understanding investment in technology or something. And I found it. I found it was really odd that he didn't do that at the time. Sunak's not very good on his feet. He doesn't respond very well to those things. But it it felt like he probably should have said something, even if it wasn't a direct. Like he should have responded to that because it is a it has been a, a big news particularly in the us and then for almost immediately jeremy hunt to come on and do that for me it kind of clanged really badly but it doesn't seem to have been picked up in that way anywhere else in the media and maybe it's just 
<laughs> just my my kind of narrow perspective. But for me, it just felt it just felt really off. Um, and I, yeah, I don't. It was just odd in terms of the framing of it. But you know, it's still it's a good thing that they're investing this money. Um, but it, it just felt a bit odd. Yeah, Kia Stormer came out and pretty much said that uh, he, he welcomed it. Um, I kind of maybe I fall into the trap call of of looking for everything as a banana skin. And I, when that came out, I thought, well, what's, what are they trying to trap Labour with here? But actually, it's just an investment in something that's really worthwhile. Um, Owen, did you have any, any thoughts on that? Um, well, I didn't see this. Well, PMQ's all started the statement, but um, it sounds like this question's come up on quite a few reels on Instagram, which is curious. Uh, so it's obviously reached certain people, <clears throat> which is a good thing, really. And if, if it's reaching people, that kind of does start to bring that question that Cole has about, is it just us who are recognising things or are other people who aren't necessarily into politics seeing it and then responding properly, but not in a sort of American aggressive way um, that we've seen, which is in itself curious. But I mean, thinking on um, Hunton being moved, I did think last week if he didn't cut inheritance tax, he suddenly becomes completely movable before the next election. And lo and behold, what's he done? He's made himself able to be shifted, um, especially <clears throat> especially given that he said this week that he wants to stand again as an MP. So has he given himself a banana skin to fall on so he can actually go back and fight his own constituency? So it's all kind of, the optics are very, very strange. There's lots of good stuff, potentially. Uh, there are banana skins for us, but there again, if they're going to end up with a sort of rump party, they'll need people like him with the experience. If, for example, like in Labour List in that article this morning, uh, so that's majority is going to be reduced, was it down to 600 and something from 28,000? If, if that happens, then Sunak is toast. Uh, I mean, he's toast anyway, but um, he's basically just cinders by the time he comes back as, <laughs> as the MP. Um, Probably in Panto and in, in Bido of all places, but there we are. Um, but I mean, it's it is weird what's kind of come out and what's been advertised, or at the very least being seen outside of the political bubble, uh, and that in itself is interesting. And it's 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 all because it, one of my two teams watched it, and they're really into politics and stuff. But then they said, well, why are they doing it like that now? Is it just for the election so they can then say afterwards, oh, it wasn't me who said that? I'm an actual real MP rather than just a chancellor kind of thing. Or are, are, are they in that position of they know they're completely stuffed, so they're going to do anything they can that seems big, but actually on the, on the, in reality, there's nothing. And we can't know that until the election or after the election. So it's going to be think, interesting. Yeah, I, I feel like they're, they're pretty much done now. They're, they're pretty much busted up. Um, I mean, it's hard, you know, after, for any, anybody... You know, if you look ahead to like 15 years' time, hopefully, gone through three cycles of labour, they couldn't be ready for a change again. You know, it's just the way these things work. And it's hard to, it becomes increasingly hard from, from day one. And I actually remember in 1997, where for the first, and I was like uh, 16 to 20 at the time for that parliament in age, so I was watching politics, but I wasn't involved with it at all. And I remember just thinking that every time Tony Blair got, because I always watch PMQs. As he very often said, well, before 1997, this was a situation we inherited. And it was almost quite easy in the beginning for him to keep referring back to whatever was done before and say we're doing it better. And that was pretty much a stock thing. And it's the same for, you know, post-2010. But it gets progressively harder to do that um, with any credibility. And they are trying. Uh, Richard Holden found out, as you said, Owen, how, how that's not particularly going to get through easily uh, against most good interviewers um, if you try that one. And, you know, like uh, just to refer to what Carl said and Richard Holden in the same context, once they get off script, it dramatically goes bad quick because it's very hard to to, to keep saying new things after all this time. You know, the, the, they've sort of it's been quite interesting to notice that that and particularly with Cameron, it's much harder now to say we're very much different to what came before. Uh, they used to they were very effective at doing that in previous elections for for a good while. It seems that even even that's gone now, where people are saying, "Well, you've been in for thirteen years." They didn't say that for a long time before they were treated completely separate. Maybe it was because it was 
blinded by Brexit and all the other things, but like even like even the sort of successful messages they've had before seem to be falling away, and it just feels like the country is almost not even looking at the politics, just just thinking let's just get it over with, let's just get Labour in. Now that'll result in a big result, and the longer the wait, the worse that result's going to be. So I think something they're going to be starting to think about now, whether or not you know, and it's easy for me to say it with no skin in the game. As a Labour voter, you know, if you're Prime Minister, you're trying to have this conversation at all is difficult. But there comes a point where you think, you know, and again, he has no reason to do this, by the way, on an individual level. But as a party, you think, do you just go now, take a hit rather than a massive hit and come back fighting at the next election? Or do you just go as long as you can get absolutely wiped out and take three parliaments to come back if you're lucky? You know, because there's always a chance, as I've said before, that you you know the ideological pure hard right of the usual suspects we would call them come out and say well if we weren't so central we'd be fine you know because you start to hear people now talk nonsense about how the entire country wants to stop the votes and blah 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 and it, you know all that sort of rhetoric's coming out and that's the rhetoric you're going to hear after the election when they talk about how do we recover there's always a faction of every leadership election that says we weren't pure enough and we're going to see that and goodness knows how bad it could get for them but it all depends where they start from if they wait and wait and wait they could be starting from literally very very little Carl um, yeah I mean I don't feel like they have a, the politics of the party is that they don't have lots of room to manoeuvre I think they've Hunt's done well so there's a few things I think Hunt's done well to get through this budget not delivering an inheritance tax and with the parliamentary party largely coming out, be, like being happy with it, uh, given all the noise around it, that's a win. But it isn't a game-changing autumn statement at, at all. Um, you kind of, you know, the the backbenchers have to hope and have basically said they're looking for more tax cuts come a budget next year, which would be the the kind of last budget before an election, and that that's now going to have to be the staging post for a turnaround in the polls. There has been, uh, since the autumn statement, a small bump for the Tories. So the, the Labour leader is now down, is now less than 20 points, it's 19 points, which, you know, is, you know, squeaky bum time in the in Labour HQ. Um, but, but, <laughs> it actually will be. <laughs> but, it's, um, but it's, you know, it, and maybe, you know, if, if we felt, if, you thought that they could build on it slowly over the next few months and start to pull it back that way. That's one thing, but I don't think they're in any state to do that. They're, you mentioned the, the, the small boats. Immigration is now a problem because the uh, net migration is much higher than was expected. That's now the parliamentary party is going to be not happy again. So the 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 sort of the pleasedness about the autumn statement wasn't a kind of a big enough bump even for the parliamentary party to get them through what is probably going to be a difficult few months for lots of different reasons immigration being one of them um so i i don't know it just yeah there needs to be something else and but it looks like the budget will have to be it at which point to, to owen's point about a may election i think my my sort of what I've said I can't remember if I've said it on here but what I've said to lots of people is that I think Rishi Sunak is bad enough at politics to think he can pull a surprise election in May, and and wrong foot people, um, still now but I don't think he is, he has the nerve to do it if he gets to that point and is still this far behind in the polls and I think actually. He, the politics of that is really difficult. Like, if you, you know, if you're the parliamentary Conservative Party, and Rishi Sunak all of a sudden overnight disappears to the palace when he's twenty points behind the polls, you are you are not going to be happy. I mean, you're probably going to not stand in that election. Are you? You're just going to, even if you haven't said, yeah, if you're Jeremy Hunt, you're just going to be like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> what will happen, Carl, is you'll have two people in the car with him and you go, take a left to your driver. He goes, you bloody won't. Family and palaces. We're not doing that. Do you reckon it could be done by teams? That would be quite interesting. Disillusion of Parliament be <laughs> by teams. You could have you could have it. You could make a spectrum of it. You know, you've got the, the sort of the, um, what, what do they call it? The lectern that they speak at. I mean, let's just, just for the record, Liz Truss had the best one. 
did everything else wrong. But that was a cool lecture. Now, if you remember, that was cool. In a storage cupboard somewhere. It is actually. Some some people have been looking for it actually, but it's a fantastic. It was a lovely piece of. It's a shame that someone better couldn't have used it. I would have, if that was Kia's, I'd have been quite happy about that. It looked really cool. Anyway, I I digress, but I just imagined where you could almost like whip out the iPad with uh, the king on it and be like, we're going ahead, he's like approved. And then and then you do it live, I think that'd be quite cool, but that's my oddness. Then Daniel Craig jumps out of a plane, it's, yeah. <laughs> oh, you see, I mean, we can discuss, we can discuss details action. later, Carl, but I think it's a, it definitely is, um, <laughs> it's good. But no, I think, uh, uh, yeah, the question I would ask you both, two questions, the first one is a sort of. I'm going to ask the, the, the quick question first. Owen, first, do you think Jeremy Hunt will deliver the spring budget? I'm in two minds. I think if he delivered on inheritance tax, it would have been a, a definitive and definite yes. But he might not. So we'll see what comes after Christmas. I mean, bearing in mind they've employed that election person from the 1st of January or something. Mm. Uh, it depends what they say, because Sunak's very easily led. Um, he's not great at changing his narrative halfway through a sentence, but when the correct tape finally goes in the back of his head, he's fine. Um, <laughs> but we'll see. I mean, I wouldn't be su- terribly surprised if he did, but there again, I wouldn't be that unsurprised if he didn't. Mm-hmm. Carl, what do you think? Do you think that I mean, I guess the question I'm really asking is, will he will he make that change? That we've mentioned? Well, I guess there's there's two. Th- I think he probably wants to make the change. I think it would, you know, he's running out of rabbits to pull out of hats. David Cameron's one. We could try and bring George Osborne back for the next one. <laughs> that'd be a that'd be a big one. But um, I think if you're going to try and make a statement in advance of the next budget and you know, give yourself, you know, you're still behind in the polls. If if this doesn't work enough, then that's the thing that you do. You put a new, shiny new person in that role and it gives you the kind of um, reasoning and impetus to kind of to cut taxes and go a bit further than you might have otherwise done. I think the politics of it will probably be slightly more difficult than that because if Hunt decides he doesn't want to go, that's quite a big thing like that's quite a big row to have when you're not very strong mm. uh just before an election um so i think it'll probably again i think rishi sunak probably in his head thinks he can do it if he wants and i think he might find it more difficult i think it might be more difficult than the um uh demoting what's his face from health secretary to environment secretary um, Barkley. yeah i was good i was I was going to try and remember his name, and I thought, he's not worth it, is he? <laughs> well, I think he's still in number 10 kicking off, by all accounts. So, I think that that's the bit, it's just whether he can do it by that. Like, if, you know, yeah, if, if, he could get, he could still get weaker, but, you know, like, like you were saying, Malcolm, um, that would make that a bit more difficult, but we'll see. Yeah, I think my view on that one, for the end of our, my first two, one of two questions, is... I don't think Hunt is a vote loser for them. I'm not. I'm not sure he's a net gainer, but I don't think he damages in any way. Like as if you know, the obvious example would be Swala Bradman, and, and clearly there's a, a detoxification when she's not there. And I, I don't think that happens when when Hunt's in. I also don't, don't think that it's hard to move him on the basis that I don't particularly think he's got a, a strong base either. That you're gonna. I think people might think, oh, he, you know, uh, but it's not gonna. You know, there's not gonna be a rallying point behind him. I don't think. Carl, oh, come on in. I was just going to say the one thing I would put in his favour um, is that he's uh, brought back a level of competence to the statement that uh, political competence to it that I think hasn't always been there, let's say, in the last few years. Uh, the one thing, I think the inheritance tax briefing was probably a bit much and to Owen's point is probably will leave a question hanging um, if Tory MPs started getting a bit grumpy again, which they seem to be. But what he did, there was quite a lot of briefing around different things that were coming out. Um, one thing that I think uh, was probably smart politics was the briefing beforehand that they might not uprate benefits, um, 
with the September figure and mm. um, go for the October figure instead. So when he announced the September figure, that was that was the focus. Whereas actually, if you put that figure, if you put the uprating of benefits next to the uprating of pensions, doesn't look quite as good. Um, but um, but yeah, because he'd done that and sort of rolled the pitch in a way that hasn't, well, certainly well done with Liz Trust and Quasicrate, um, but they're probably not the, the comparator. I think that the kind of the, the cleverness of that politics, you know, it's, it should be, you know, if you're in that role, you should have that kind of political mouth anyway, but it hasn't been there and he clearly has it and he can sort of deliver it, which I think is in his favour, that kind of experience, level of experience. Yes. So my my thoughts on the field, I think he will stay uh, on the basis that he's, like you say, Carl, there is a confidence there. Uh, on the basis that it will be bad for the government if he doesn't stay, I hope he does go. Um, so we'll see what happens uh, on, on that. I think on the trailing of the messaging was a little bit crude for me. It was just a bit too obvious what they were doing. And then, you know, it's like, we're going to do this. And then everyone's like, no, terrible. Okay, we're done. It was just like, you've got to be slightly more subtle than that, I think. Um, I don't know quite how, but it just felt a bit too obvious what they were trying to do there. Um, but yeah, like you say, I, would, I definitely picked up on that one, Carl, when he said, we're going to go even more, we're going to use a bigger figure. And everyone's like, ooh, that's nice. And even, even I found myself going, ooh, that, that's actually quite good. you know. And then, you, you, like, like you say, you listen to them, and these very skilled at making everything sound good. And then you read the sort of commentary. And I, I always find the uh, fascinating, actually, the immediately when... The opposition stands up and on both sides of the coin when labor have been in many years ago to when i've sometimes found myself thinking you know that wasn't actually too bad it's gonna be really hard to pick this apart and then they absolutely rumble it to bits and you think yeah yeah, yeah. and then and it's like the, it's amazing how the, the, the interpretations come out and that's why i hope the public listen carefully because they really do a good job of unpicking and picking these things so um i'm gonna call it in four minutes what i've got uh, in terms of this particular topic because I'm aware that we have we have hard deadlines tonight, ladies and gentlemen, to finish by. Um, the second question would be relating to in in regards to the content of the autumn statement. What is the view? And I'm going to start with Owen this time to give him a chance to go first. Uh, about election dates, Owen. Is there any indication from the the scale of content in the statement? Did it point to one or the other? For example, some of the things are going to take a while to kick in. So they won't get the political benefit necessarily straight away until later on. Um, for example, the the two percent. I think does that come in straight away? I was in April. I can't remember. Um, I think it might. Uh, whatever. But anyway, stuff like that. Do Do you think it'll be? Does it point to me or does it point to him just digging his heels in a bit longer? Well, probably two replies to that. I mean, the income tax thing does require private legislation to actually come into force. That's a difficult thing to see they'll put it in before February, I would say, given their vast uh, agenda from the King's speech has trumped everything anyway. But other bits, <clears throat> I do agree with George Fuchs, who on Tuesday tweeted saying, I call it now, the election will be on the first Thursday in May. What he was briefed, I don't know. But there's too much being offered uh, and a lot of things that can be done very quickly and without having to go back to the Commons to do much. For them not to go for an election, A, in a, a longer day in terms of light, B, it gives them a bit of time to push their members to get photo ID so they can get over that particular hurdle they put into themselves. And C, if they've already told local authorities prepare for me and that's been briefed then if they don't go for me there's more banana skins for them to fall on than for anybody else mm -hmm. uh, i think i think there is something in that one I, I always i do just put the asterisks on that to say that they would always have to be ready anyway because the results have to be in place but i hear what you're saying i think the fact they've said it does point towards something i also just offer before i hand it carl that May would be the obvious time to have it. The only reason we're talking about another time is because it went at a weird time last time and they could last longer. They may just choose to normalise again and go for May because that's what we always do. So they have the option, but maybe it's standard to be in May. Maybe we're being a little bit, sort of, again, theatrical to think that they might just go on and on. They might just say, look, it's the right time to do it. 
Um, but Carl, do you have any thoughts on on what this points to in relation to potential dates? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think we're largely thinking about the end of the year because the polls are so bad for the Tories. I mean, I think that's the that's why it's still mm. it would the only date that's been briefed to the papers that I've seen is the thirty first of October next year. Now, whether who that's been briefed by and how and why. Uh, and whether you know even Rishi Sunak actually knows at this point what he's going to do, um, I mean I think that's I mean that's the real difficulty is that what you're trying to do is reach into his mind because he's it fundamentally the, the person that has to decide, um, and I just I still think the politics of it at this moment unless they can do something, so to your point the national insurance uh, change comes in I Google it comes in at the beginning of January. So that does, I think some of the stuff in here like that does point to an earlier election or them trying to get to an earlier election because they want people to start to feel better off. Uh, But unfortunately, people won't start to feel better off. Refer back to my point about the OBR saying this is going to be the biggest one. And energy bills. Yeah, energy bills. Well, mortgages as well. So the New Statesman piece out this morning basically saying that, um, well, the things that I've mentioned before, but people are coming off their mortgages on the higher mortgages now. Um, and there is a kind of, there's potential for it to be a tipping point because it, if it also pushes, if it also starts to uh, push down the value of people's houses, then the, their mortgages become more expensive because they have less equity in their house and you get you become riskier. So you, you don't qualify for the better rates. Um, so there's all of that is kind of there's not much the government can do about it except for I hope the interest rates come down. Cutting national insurance probably isn't. I, can, I don't. I can't remember what they said about whether that's inflationary or not. Um, I think part it's not. I think it's not because it's coming from cuts. Um, it's because the overall envelope doesn't change. But even so, I don't know. It feels like the politics won't shift enough. Um, so my, I still go October because Christmas is too is just weird and too late, and October is as long as he can stay prime minister, and he'll probably want to stay as long as he can, and most of their MPs will want to stay as long as they can, particularly probably the fifty of them that are standing down, or probably more by the by that point. Owen, do you have any final points? Because I want to make sure that we have enough time to talk about the next one and also Keir Starmer. Any final things? No, I don't. Just I agree, but obviously differ on the, the date. Yeah, <laughs> I I'm gonna be the mediator here and say I think they're trying for me. I think I think they're trying to build a, a possibility where it could happen, but I think the likelihood is it'll potentially go a bit longer. But I wouldn't be surprised at either at this stage. I think they're definitely doing things to see if they can get any light at the end in the tunnel that could justify it. I think they'd probably prefer to go in May, but I do think that it'll be very difficult to pull the trigger if they know they're going to get whipped. So um, I'm somewhere in the middle of the both here. I think. And as ever, agreeing with both of you, which is always very nice to be. <laughs> I am a weak, a weak mind. Um, <laughs> so yes, don't want to chat quickly about the. Uh, we've got about 12, 12.50 minutes left um, to talk about uh, James Cleverly because quite a bizarre situation happened that people will be aware of. I won't spend too long going through it. Give you the the whistle stop. The during PMQs, Alex Cunningham, the MP for Stockton North, asked why are thirty four percent of children in my constituency living in poverty. To which, um, before she soon stood up, there was an audible uh, noise. It sounded like someone saying, "Because it's a shithole." Um, now, instantly, uh, the footage must have been relayed to Alex Cunningham later, who returned to raise a point of order to say that um, the Home Secretary, he in his he alleged Home Secretary, had said this. Um, ben Horshan, the Tees Valley Mayor, and also Lord Horshan of High Leven, um, criticised the Home Secretary for the comments, and he should apologise. And eventually, James Cleverly did admit, but saying it was it was misheard. He actually called Cunningham a shit MP, which potentially is even worse. But you know, not of an edifying spectacle for the for the Home Secretaries. Be that as it may, uh, Number Ten said that Rishi Sunak has full confidence in James Cleverly, which for someone who's just taken the role is quite staggering. To already have had a vote of no confidence in football, that's usually the end. Uh, luckily for him, it's not football. Um, but I just wanted to firstly go to Carl and just ask for your your just comments on this in general. It just seems a very odd, um, almost typical behaviour of the Conservatives. But for, for him to have come in, into office in these circumstances, and I actually noticed, if you look at the footage earlier in PMQs, he looked really angry, like super angry right throughout. And I actually clocked this and, and consciously thought it. 
before anything like this happened. But Carl, what's your views on it, just generally, and then anything else you want to say? Uh, my my first thought was, is it Ben Houchen? I, I call him Ben Houchen. Is it, it could be Houchen, Houchen, uh, Houchen. Yeah, okay. Lord Lord Ben. <laughs> <laughs> there we go, Lord Ben. Ben Safer. Um, I think, but I think that's the the thing about it. I I sort of I think that's the interesting thing about it that he's come out immediately to put the boot into James Severley, um, and it's clearly I've not heard the audio i don't know if the audio is out there somewhere yeah. um but it it must be clear like that means the audio must be clear and i mean you can hear yeah. you can hear the the apologies for repeating it but you can hear the word shithole quite quite clearly yeah. um and i think if you if you then went to any trouble of enhancement i think it would clearly make it that um i was surprised because usually with these things remember with the stupid woman thing with Jeremy Corbyn that caused such a hullabaloo and Cleverly was actually one of the ones that stood up and went, I saw him sir, I saw him say it. So he's yeah. got a bit of history in, in that. Um, but it was interesting that he actually admitted to, to something really quite bad. It was, so it must have been quite clear when they did some additional enhancement. But yeah, it's quite clear, Carl. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean that's why he's done it because the politics of say, caught, having a go at someone on the Labour benches is completely different to having a go at yeah, somewhere in the Tees Valley, where the you know the flagship mayor for the Tories in the north is, who's just been made a peer, um, and is quite. A, this is the story of <laughs> quite a, quite a, it's, oh, he's quite totemic, I think, particularly given where what's happened with the Red Wall. You know, the polling in the Red Wall is not great, um, and he's probably quite an important figure to annoy. Um, and I think it's a, it, yeah, it's an it's a problem that this has happened because James Cleverly, I think we talked about it last week, is the kind of message carrier for a lot of the kind of law and order stuff that seemingly they want to push forward within the run the election. Um, there's not an obvious person to at this, uh, his kind of level to put into that role, uh, and it will be politically difficult to have to move him so soon after he's moved Sorella Braveman and annoyed a load of people on the right, um, particularly at a time when net migration is really high. So it's, I think there's potential for this to be, it could be a sort of storm in a teacup and pass, but there's potential for it to be quite a big problem if he has, if he has, something, has to do something about it, I think. Yeah, I'm just actually trying to find uh, the footage for you, Carl. It's all right, don't worry. I will trust you. That I, look, I, mean, the, the... I think the Guardian website put it on, but uh, Owen, what did you want to come in on that? Have you heard it, I guess, is the first question. Did you want to hear it? Um, yeah, I, I saw the um, thing on the, the news at the hotel on Wednesday night, and he does say it. It's quite obvious. And he's not got what you would call a voice that is... Well, that he's shy, I'll put it that way. Um and it's, like Carl said, it's, it's, it's either going to be a massive storm in a teacup or there is somebody behind the scenes trying to make him do something so stupid, I mean, literally stupid, to actually undermine not just his position but also that of his government. Maybe that's because he looks very uncomfortable when he says the words, I will stop the votes, like he did when he took on a job as Home Secretary. I just think it's uh, madness... I, I think it's crazy on that when, like I say, when I watch the footage, if you look at the, if you watch the session, just have a look at him. Watch how angry he looks. And mm. he looks genuinely like aggressive um, and quite intimidating in some ways. Um, that he was just, like, you know, leering, like a horrible facial expression he had. So he just seems to have lost his composure. I just wonders whether he can, you know, whether he's coping with the, the demands of that role. It's a hard role. Um, and, oh, yeah. and I just wonder whether it's too much because it's, it's an odd thing to do. It's such there's plenty of ways to cock up politics without walking into a brick wall like that. And he, and if you're shouting out because it's a shit hole to an MP, you're shouting it at him across the chamber so that the microphones are going to pick it up. Because actually, he shouts it so loud because what normally happens is the microphones are positioned at different locations around the chamber, and only the the active one. Is, is audible so when you you might get heard but you probably won't get heard 
you're actually being heard by the microphone nearest Alex Cunningham at the time. So he's really shouted out. So I think the problem he's got is that whilst it may have been unclear to some degree to the listener, to anyone inside the chamber, like you say, he's not someone who has a undistinctive voice. So for me, it's just complete, it's just typical of the government just completely, to coin a similar phrase, just shut in the bed. And, you know, again and again, they're making these mistakes. And Sunak must be going back thinking, I could predict some things that are going to go wrong, but what on earth's going on? Because that wasn't his fault. It was just his home secretary being nuts. And it's just very odd behaviour. Is it sackable under this government? Probably not, but I would love to say, I would be interested to know what Keir Storm would do in a similar situation, whether that would be a sacking thing. I think it might, might. But Horshin, just to be clear, criticised him. And then when he apologised, he said, champion, let's move on. Carl, any final comments? Because yeah. I appreciate we've only got five minutes left and you want to talk about Keir Starmer, so any final issues on, on that? Did you think he'll go? I don't I don't think he'll go, but it's yeah, like you say, it's what is it just he was annoyed on that day or is there something else going on? Um, we'll find out. But yeah. yeah, it's it's just odd and it is not a yeah, he's the sort of I I took him to be the kind of star turn of the but you know, outside of David Cameron of the reshuffle, and it's not it's collapsed. not good luck for one of your no. what should be one of your top performers in the run of the election. And if you're Keir Starmer, sorry, if you're Rishi Sunak, you want that to be you know a, a stable move, a move towards stability. And then this happens, you think, oh goodness me, that is not good. Um, so I'm sure he's not enjoying life at the minute in that respect either. He probably expected better from him. And I think there'd be some stern words said, hopefully, if he has any strength at all, saying, for goodness sake, do yourself a favour. You know, we can we can do plenty of things wrong. We don't have to be swearing across the chamber. Um, that's what I'd be saying anyway. So moving on to the final uh, thing, we've got a few minutes left. Uh, Carl, um, I'm going to hand this to you because you mentioned it at the start. Uh, Keir Starmer, I know you, you you have some knowledge of this own. I feel like we're heading into your comfort zone here, talking about uh, classical music. So I've got high hopes of this section. Um, but firstly, Carl, do you want to introduce the, the Keir Starmer's Ode to Joy? Not literally, he's not going to sing it, but you know, tell us all about yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, I felt like we, we, with Owen here, I felt like we couldn't skip this one. I mean, it's one that's come from today. Um, he was asked somewhere or other um, about what um, what song sort of in, used, he could use to sum up Labour, and he went straight to Ode to Joy, um, <laughs> which fine um i'm trying to find what he what, how how Keir described it but i think the the thing that i found kind of odd was and we've talked about richard holden already but he came straight straight out with an attack he's so minging the, on twitter though he is minging on twitter but it's like but it's but it does feel like it does feel very desperate when you have to when you feel like you have to attack a song choice of a um, Malcolm's making some interesting gestures while I'm saying this. When you have to attack, attack the song choice, of the, I mean, it's one of those things like this throwaway thing. Sometimes journalists ask these things, and as a leader of a political party, you have to come up with something, probably a song you quite like. Um, and Keir Starmer's done it. Uh, the Tories now, thanks to Richard Holden, seem to be. Uh, trying to frame it as because it's the song, uh, the song is um, used for the European Union. It's this kind of pro-EU sort of dog whistle or something, and it. I mean, obviously, but Malcolm. Well, what Keir said was the music reminded him of being in his twenties, but also of the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989. Um, Richard Holden has a particular salty approach to Twitter. And whilst he, he seems to have, I'll give him Sorry. credit that he seems to have tempered it in interviews, but he does bite and he bites nasty. And um, he's and the problem that the Tories have now is that he now has a platform where this gets noticed. He's done it a million times. He's blocked loads of people on Twitter um, and he, he came back. And if you actually look at some of the replies to this tweet that's mentioned in the, in the news article, he actually goes at it. Um, and uh, gets into it with with a few uh, people who who criticise him. If you get to him, he does do this. Now, as a Tory party chairman, 
you would have thought the party would have noticed it and said to him, "Okay, you know, you've you've mixed up a bit on Twitter, or X. You know, you you know that's probably not the best thing to do. You know, let's just let's move on from that in your new role as a party grandee." Um, but he didn't half get involved today, and it just didn't. And the problem, the thing I've learned about, which I don't particularly necessarily like, because I'm someone who thinks if you get someone to have a go at you, you should have a go back, in some ways. But then what I've learned is it always looks bad, and it's a bit harsh. But like, it's very in an argument, it's very very quickly hard to pick out who the idiot is, and I hate saying that because you should defend yourself. But when you do, unfortunately for for you in that situation, it doesn't look good. For anybody, it just looks really bad because nobody else has the emotion you've got in it. Um, the but anyway, it's all written down. Yeah, exactly, Carl. And like, even if like someone has a massive pop at me, and I go back and say, right, you you know what you can do, mate, and I'd go into detail. Um, the next day, it just looks like I've said something really nasty, even if it's totally justified. And I think you know that's part of the reason I think that I don't relish not being involved in this because I would probably react a little bit like Richard, if I'm honest. I don't hate the fact that he's got salty. I think that's quite a natural reaction, but it just looks awful. Anyway, not to get distracted by by him or by the by that in terms of the issue. Owen, can, I've I've left you wait long enough. Uh, you know, you you I noticed some quite detailed tweets, descriptive tweets going out. So, what was your thoughts on this in terms of the politics and uh, just how it all sort of played out? Do you think he really was trolling? Because some people said he was trolling the EU Brexit years. I mean, he, he might have been. Um, I, I can't imagine that sort of putting it in the sort of football analogy, saying it's the Champions League thing, which it isn't. I'd say not the priest, but in a, a slightly rearranged thing. But it is a kind of secondary anthem of the Champions League because it is used in other areas of uh, Is it really a rearranged as a Dr. Priest? That's amazing. Yeah. yeah having I've just learned Queen, something yeah. new. Um, like, I genuinely like that um, one as well. Zadok the Priest is very the, inspiring. The, the instrumental bit at the start is the underpinnings of the, uh, yeah. the orchestra, and then it kind of makes bit from the end and all over the place. Uh, and it's the, the really frustrating thing for me, and I will touch on Holden actually. I mean, his tweet is just awful. Firstly, it's classical music, not classic music. Um, we're not, not talking about classic yeah, yeah. for example. Uh, equally, it's technically romantic music, so he's got his period wrong as well. Uh, he says, why, why not a Wesleyan hymn? Well, Keir's not a Wesleyan. So I'm rousing Elville, which bit that the um, pacifist bit or the bit that um, is, is anti the monarchy, I don't know. A modern American classic. <laughs> and then the best bit is a slice of Wagnerian opera. Now, which political leader do you want to kind of push yourself on? Um, would you go for somebody like Allende, who likes his jazz? Uh, would you go for somebody uh, who likes peace? Um, like the attack Rabin, for example, or do you go straight in for Hitler, whose favourite composer was Wagner? I mean, how stupid do you have to be? I, mean, I know he's a flying Dutchman on Twitter, but he's not anything approaching a decent uh, composer. Anyway, to kind of get to the nub of the issue, he even gets the attribution of the music wrong because it's the anthem of the Council of Europe, not the European Union. The Commission not only nick the council's flag, but also their anthem, because it just brought people together, because of 1989 and the Berlin War. And most frustratingly, Beethoven's ninth is written when he was most profoundly deaf. So he's got all of this noise in his head and he's trying to get rid of it. And he finishes the whole thing off with Schiller's poem, Andy Freuder, so all friends. It's not about politics, it's about having seen what he's seen what he can't hear, the deprivation he's living in, the mess, and yet he has this vision of hope before he dies. And for that, he uses Schiller, who isn't in everybody, in sort of everyday parlance of most people, but it's it's probably the single most happy, forward-looking bit of poetry in German that you can think of, from that particular period anyway. Uh, and yes, again, the Tories who backed that of a ready deal, a crappy for a great height of something, something else that Churchill founded. But you know, hey, what would I know being a historian? I don't know. Yeah, I think you're right. Owen. I think sadly, most people wouldn't have your level of knowledge on that, and they've just done the classic thing of, you know, just grabbing at something that opportunistically and 
saying something that isn't true. I think in some ways we always talk about politicians. You know, we, we want to think that not every answer is strategic. Some of it just comes from the heart. And he just said, this is my favorite song. And then everybody else should jump down with these interpretations and, you know, not untypical of Holden. You can exp if you're listening and you, you, you think this is a one off, you can expect more of these tweets that he was doing a lot of when he was just a, a standard new intake back bencher. Um, I thought he might rate it in a bit. This suggests that there's still things that rankle him. Probably the fact that he shot and missed on beer gate uh, is probably the, what, what got him going on this one. Uh, but Carl, any final thoughts? Because we are over and we, we probably have to wrap it up in a second. Any final no, thoughts? I, no, I, I was really interested to get Owen's take on the, yeah, on the, the music side of things. Because it is one of those things you can um, read a lot into, but... Um, not if you're Richard Holden, apparently. Well, he's, he's tried very hard there to come up. He's thrown a lot of things in and sounds like, you know, from somebody who knows exactly what they're talking about, he's, he's missed repeatedly. Yeah. Um, which which obviously I'm now not going to sleep for a week over, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, wait. Yes, I am. Um, <laughs> so on that classical note, classical note, Owen, um, we will leave it there and, and I hope everyone enjoyed that. Uh, obviously, we're back next week. Probably, again, we, we, we didn't quite get, it's Friday today we're recording, so sometimes it doesn't quite line up, but we are going to be looking to move across to the new platform soon. Thank you for this year, because we've been going a year now. Delighted to have Owen on board um, and look forward to, to talking you through the election year and never missing anything. We're going to seven shows a week. Um, no, we're not really, but we, we do hope you can join us again. Any final words, Carla Owen, before we finish for this week? Just a big thank you to everyone for listening. Owen, all good? Brilliant. Well, listen, That's it. listen to Beethoven's Nine. Um, yes, homework for this week, yeah. listen to Beethoven's Nine, and whatever you do, don't get anything wrong in front of Owen when you talk about classical music. And if, if we could all live, live by that, the podcast has been worth it for this week. Um, so thanks again everyone for listening in have a great week uh, great to have you along and look forward to seeing you again